I know we have um, a full break for Taylor, so a lot of students missing, but some obviously are still on campus. Um, good to see you. Um, yeah, so as, as Matt said, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about Israel tonight. And this is something that, um, this is something that I, I've wrestled with um, all week, um, whether to completely step away from our series and, and just to talk about it, um, or just to see what the Lord would do. And, and I, I felt him, I've sensed him saying to, to talk about Israel, to talk about what we've seen in the news this week, but to still do it in context of what we have been discussing, that there is this matter is something that's worthy for us to discuss, it's worthy for us to pray about, but there's something, I think, deeper that he wants to do with us as a body as well. Um, and I know we don't have everyone here, but we have enough to say yes to whatever the Lord would do with us. Um, so, I would, I would just start by saying, you know, if you've been at Kingdom Life for a while, you, you would know that I, I do try and steer away from issues of politics when I preach. Um, that's partly the legacy of my father um, and growing up in South Africa, where it was very easy to make church about the politics of man um, and not to be a place where we come together to, to worship and honor God. Um, Obviously, to, to talk of issues around justice is to honor God. But I am wary. Um, I'm wary of doing sermons like this. I, I've often said while teaching at Taylor, I've been I don't know, teaching at university for um, about 15 or 16 years now. And it's interesting to me that when I, I, I you know, especially at Taylor, but even at, at the University of Bristol, where I, I, I've taught really bright students, it's interesting that it's, it's, it's easy to have really good intellectual conversations about almost anything. Um, American politics sometimes can be a challenge, let's be honest. But two things that almost without fail will, I, I will talk about in our, and, and there'll be the, uh, a rise in the kind of spiritual temperature in the room, in, in emotion. Um, one is abortion, and the other is Israel. It's, you know, as soon as you, you, you talk about these things, people have a, a, a set idea, and, and they're so loaded. Um, and again, that's why this makes me weary, but I, I don't believe um, that we can look at what's going on and not talk about it. Um, in everything that I, that I say tonight, um, is it not? There's a crackle? Do you want me to slide this back, maybe? I don't know. If, I think it's a receiver problem. You think it's a receiver problem? Okay. All right. Um, now I can't flail my hands around, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Matthew, yeah. Um, so, if you, you will remember when COVID hit, or just before, as COVID was hitting, Adam Nosiso came and he... And he shared for us the words of Isaiah 60, um, which were words that we, we held on to. And I know a lot of people in the church held on to. And I believe the Lord is, 
wanting us to remember these words again tonight. So whatever I say tonight, I don't want you to, I don't want you to fear. Uh, there are things to fear. But the reality is that we have a God who walks with us um, and will meet us in this world in which we live. So the first two verses of Isaiah 60, or three, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Whatever we see going around us in the world, whatever darkness we might see, we have an eternal hope that God is always going to be victorious. But you also have something that's a bit more exciting and a bit more imminent, which is that as darkness grows, so will the light of Christ. Uh, and that's something I want you to remember, because if the light of Christ is going to shine, he's going to shine through his church. Sure, he can do whatever he wants, okay, he's God. But his chosen methodology, more often than not, is his church. That we are his vehicle. So even as we see things happening in the world that might disturb us or, or, or distress us or cause fear, we can actually step into this promise that the Lord would use us if we would say yes to him. So um, I, just to be clear, you know, those who know me well, um, I'm not someone who ever thinks about the end times. I clearly believe the present has enough problems. Um, I've, just, I've always thought, you know, Jesus said, I don't even know when it's happening. I was like, well, why should I bother? You know, if Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back, why should I try and predict the end times? And a lot of Christians spend a lot of time and energy on this, and that's okay if that's what they're called to. Jesus does, though, say to us that we need to understand the times. And so as much as I'm not going to waste energy on trying to decide whether Jesus is coming back tomorrow or the next day, he does tell me to be aware of what's going on. So just a little bit of background for those who don't know. Um, I've taught international politics for the last um, 15, 16 years. My PhD is in international security. Um, my speciality is in religious freedom and re religious extremism. Um, and in South Africa, when I was an undergrad, I studied with the foremost or scholar of anti-Semitism in Africa. So this is a subject I feel really confident speaking to. Uh, there's another political scientist in the room who can chastise me later uh, if he disagrees, but <laughs> we'll see. I'm holding the mic, Joel. So, um, <laughs> so I'm just, I just want to. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk briefly about a couple of things, okay? And uh, and if this situation doesn't settle down, and, I, and it probably won't, then then um, maybe I'll ask Joel, and the two of us can do a Q&A session sometime. So. Um, I don't, I'm not really concerned about the end times, um, but as someone who studies international politics, um, it, it is quite clear that the world is going through a significant shift. Um, sometimes these things can be really quick, like 9-11, and they can cause change. Uh, this is of a magnitude much bigger than that, in my opinion. That we, we talked about COVID as a, as a shaking, didn't we? The world is getting shaken. And th th this is still playing out. COVID was just uh, the beginning. 
We, we live in a world, uh, I know we might look at the world and, and think it's, it's a pretty um, hard place, and it is a hard place in, in many countries. But for the most part, we actually live in a, in a pretty peaceful world. And the world we live in has been, it's been settled on ideas, and it's been settled in law, and those ideas haven't always been followed, but since, since 1945, since World War II, we've, we've had an idea of what is good and, and where we want to go, and, we, and there's been law and ideas, okay? And they've been pretty much based on Western power. And what we have now is this is starting to get pulled apart. We have genocide in China. We have Russia waging a war. We have Iran meddling throughout the Middle East. And uh, we can start to think of Russia, China, and Iran as a, as a ha, just use the word axis, I guess it has bad connotations, but there's three powers that are trying to reshape the world. Um, and you don't have to take my word for it, you can actually listen to President Xi of China and he will actually say this, that the world needs to change. It needs to move away from American dominance and we can make a better world. And I don't believe that it would be a better world if China was leading it. So we look at the Middle East now, and I, and I guess my worst-case scenario will be that uh, Israel will invade Gaza, that Hezbollah and Iran will engage, which will force the U.S. to engage with Iran, which means China will probably invade Taiwan, and Russia will probably move further into Ukraine because Ukraine will stop getting weapons. Um, and it won't be World War III, but it will be absolutely catastrophic for a lot of countries. Um, now, that's my worst-case scenario. I don't think that's what's going to happen but it's conceivable that someone could make a decision and that could, that could happen. But even if none of those things happen, even if we just stay where we are now in this sort of slow shift away from world order that we have, the world has been remade. Um, unfortunately, I think in the West, we no longer even know what we stand for. We are unmoored from our foundations. And unless the Lord raises up new leaders, I don't see that changing. Uh, apart, unfortunately, from unless we fight a war, which has a habit of teaching us who we are. And I pray that doesn't happen. So in the midst of all this uncertainty, you know, I'm looking at the world thinking, this is, this is an interesting thing to teach. We have the attacks last weekend in Israel. Um, now, so Israel, so let me say this, because I'm, I'm, I am American, okay, but until last year I wasn't American. Um, <laughs> it, it's common in my experience when I teach at Taylor, so a lot of students have grown up in evangelical church, so they've heard a lot of sermons about Israel, they have a very profound sense of Israel being important, and, you know, and of, often they can be un, unquestioning towards Israel, and, it's, and that's a problem. Um, growing up in the church, I didn't hear a single sermon about modern-day Israel. Not a thing. So when I come to thinking about Israel today, I might, actually, I come from a very secular mindset uh, initially. I think about it as a, as a political scientist. Then I think about it as a Christian. Um, I, don't have a, I, don't have, I wasn't raised to have this default loyalty to Israel. Okay? I, had to do, I had to think and learn this for myself. But I will say, and gosh, I mean, in, there's about 20 things I'm going to say tonight which require three sermons, okay? So forgive me. 
Um, send me emails, you know, talk to me. Um, so I, I do believe that Christians are the people of God. Okay? I believe the church is, um, that we are the children of God. I do not believe that we have replaced Israel. Okay? I believe that the Lord still holds his promises to Israel, even as he has build, is building the church. This is something that God is able to do. And Jesus said that Jerusalem essentially would be judged until the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles has passed. And we're at some stage in that period, in the time of the Gentiles. But Paul talks about the Jews being saved. He talks about God's plan for the Jews still to be fulfilled. He has not forgotten them. When we look at Matthew and Luke, we see Jesus, we know Jesus rebukes religious leaders. But when he comes to Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus describes the children of Jerusalem like chicks that he wants to gather under his wings. I've got chickens. I've seen them do this. It is very nurturing and very protective. And it's loving. In Luke 19, Jesus weeps over the city. And it's a a strange scripture. Because it's almost like he says, you know, if he had believed in me, this whole thing wouldn't have to happen. And I don't know what to do with that. I guess I'll find out when I get to heaven. But he weeps over it. He, he weeps what, over what he knows is coming. And in Luke 19 and Luke 21, Jesus prophesies the fall of Jerusalem. You know, Jesus actually gives very few prophecies. Really, quite few about what is to come. But two that he does are about the fall of Jerusalem. And he describes it in horrific terms. The, um, the most vivid description of the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 is by a historian called Josephus. Um, and he calls it the worst siege in human history, which is saying something for someone who went around with the Roman army. Almost every man was killed. Tens of thousands of women and children were sold to slavery or were sent to the circus, to be killed. Josephus writes of blood running in the streets, of there being so much blood that the fires struggled to burn the buildings. And there's something when you study anti-Semitism that is peculiar. Um, sorry, this is, this is going to be a little depressing, I warn you. Okay. Um, It's, it, it, it's really hard to study anti-Semitism and not see that the Jews are persecuted people and that it is rooted in a spiritual war. The attention that the Jewish people have had in a negative sense is absolutely astounding. And as someone who has studied history from ancient Greece to modern day and has studied attacks on Jews, I, I cannot explain it apart from the supernatural. We have the fall of Jerusalem in AD 72. Um, we have the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt in AD 132, 136. Um, when that fails, 
the Jews are, so the Jews are kicked out of Jerusalem in AD 17. In AD 136, they are kicked out of Israel. Romans changed the name of Israel to Palestine to try and completely disconnect the Jewish people from their land. And they are scattered. And uh, hundreds of thousands die of starvation, um, even more than by the sword. And then what we see is Jews, um, they live in these pockets, small and big, a dozen, five, a couple of families, a couple of thousand. They live in pockets throughout the world, throughout the Roman Empire and other empires. And um, there is actually, if you're really interested, you can go online and there's a Jewish resource source which actually lists every single recorded instance of anti-Semitism that they've been able to find. And it's, it, it'll take you a lifetime to read. Some of the highlights, or lowlights, that obviously Jews are considered Christ killers. They are regarded as racially inferior. They are often killed as scapegoats. So, so they've been accused of draining blood from children to make unleavened bread. They have, by law, been banned from becoming Christians. They've been expelled en masse from almost every European country. Like, every Jew, get out and leave your things behind. There, is, um, there are conspiracy theories which say Jews run the world, that they're behind 9-11, all sorts of daft things. At the end of the 19th century, or middle and end of 19th century, we get the pogroms. You've probably seen these references if you've been watching the news. Um, and these were slaughters of thousands and tens of thousands of Jews um, by mobs, where um, this would be a kind of satanic panic made real, where a mob would go through a, t a town and just kill. And it didn't matter if you were three months old, six years old, 96 years old. You were killed and maybe raped, maybe burnt alive. It was horrendous. You, I, I could talk for a week on, on this and still not get to Nazi Germany. But of course, we do get to Nazi Germany, don't we? And we get to the Holocaust. And we get to an attempt to annihilate the Jewish people. They are seen as a disease to be eradicated. And six million die. This is the destruction of entire people and communities in Europe. So when we, when we get to modern day Israel, and again, I'm thinking just as a political scientist here, um, I, can set all, I can set the spiritual side apart. Um, the international community sees the need for the Jews to have their own country. They need a state. So when we think of Israel, we think of a security state. It is designed 100% to protect the Jews. It is a secular country, it's not a religious country. It's increasingly religious, but it's not a religious country, it's secular. And sometimes, you know, we can be tempted, we, we, we live in a comfortable country um, where we are relatively safe, uh, and, and we think that the, that the world's done with war, that we should seek peace, and um, if you spend any time thinking about Israel, there's a one-state solution and a two-state solution that are proposed. You know, this desire, can't Jews and, and Arabs and Palestinians, can't they just live together? And I, and I wish I could say yes. And the best of me would like to say yes, absolutely. I believe that mankind is able to overcome his hate. 
But I think this is ignorance of history, and I think it's ignorance of humanity, and most importantly, I think it's ignorance of the spiritual reality that the Jewish people live under. And I do believe that they are still living under attack. And so if you speak to Jews who are passionate about Israel, a lot of Jews are very liberal. They're very progressive. They want peace. But most remember 2,000 years of persecution. And the hard thing for, the, the hard thing for anyone trying to you know, talk about one or two-state solution is that um, Nazism was clearly demonic. Yeah, clearly demonic. And yet it was birthed in the most enlightened country in Europe. And if you study anti-Semitism, you'll know most Jewish scholars actually predicted the Holocaust, but they thought it was going to come out of France, which was the other most enlightened country in Europe. So they were not surprised. I think they were surprised by the severity. But I don't doubt that Nazism was demonic, and I also do not doubt that Hamas's policy for the eradication of the Jews is demonic. If you look at Hamas's charter, you will see that they are anti-Israel, but they are in general also anti-Jew. And I have I've heard Hamas representatives ask for the world to send all Jews to Israel so that they can all please be killed at once. Um, that is nothing but demonic because no people should be targeted for who they are. So when I look at Israel, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to move here quickly, but carefully choosing my words. Um, <laughs> when I look at Israel's formation in 1948, I do believe it was God's will. Now, I can, um, I can say, well, God's in charge of everything, so obviously it's his will. Okay, that's, a, that's a kind of easy out. Um, when I look at it as a historian and a political scientist, I, I, I do not believe Israel could have formed without the hand of God being involved. I believe it was there. You get these curious things like the U.S. president saying, I am Cyrus, I am Cyrus, when he signs the declaration recognizing Israel. But the thing that convinces me more than anything else is if you read the testimonies of the men and women of God who were intercessors. You read their testimonies in the 30s and during World War II and after World War II and the, the way the Spirit was calling them to intercede, calling them to pray for Israel. Because Israel had been in discussions for about 45 years, 50 years before it was formed. And you see these men and women of God, the Spirit is meeting them and he's saying, pray, pray, pray. And I believe their testimony that the Lord was for this. So now we're in this strange situation and maybe unique situation. Again, I don't like to think, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the end times, but I am curious that now we're in a system, an international system, which is shifting for the first time in a really, I think, meaningful way with Israel in existence. There have been some other things, but I think this is the first time we've seen, we're likely to see massive shift. And we actually have Israel as a country in world politics. And I just think that's interesting. And I think it adds a need for us to be discerning. So when we look at what's happened this last weekend, I think it's easy for us to see that the demonic is alive and that darkness is real. And we think about those words from Isaiah, when darkness rises. 
I don't think we can explain someone killing a baby in a crib or burning children alive uh, or raping women without evil being involved. And I, I know, um, and I've talked all week with my students about this, I know that there's a wider context. When you talk about Palestine and Israel, we have to talk about the West Bank and we have to talk about colonialism with the British and before that, and we have to talk about 1945 and there's multiple wars. All of these things are relevant. This context is relevant. Okay. But none of that justifies what Hamas has done. And so now we have a situation where Israel is attacking in Gaza and civilians will die. And they are dying. And there's two million, over two million people in Gaza. And uh, the international community, American and others, are trying to get a corridor to get, get the civilians out, and I hope that happens. I don't, I don't know how they can do that feasibly and know that Hamas fighters aren't escaping. But it, it, it is... Um, Again, we, th we, we look at this and we think this might be unusual, but this unfortunately has often been the way of the world and the way of man. And so we, we stand looking at this horror with the potential for Hezbollah to attack from the north and Iran to do whatever it wants from the east. And, um, <laughs> and we have to pray. Now, some of us who are of age might think, well, maybe we should sign up, you know, go over to Israel and fight. That would be stupid because Israel has a really strong army and they're well trained and we are not. But the one thing we can do is we can fight in the spirit. So I'm going to have to talk about intercession in more detail later. I'm already running out of time here. But I... I wanted to say this. So we're going through a series on, super, on being supernaturally, no, no, naturally supernatural. Is that right? Yeah, naturally supernatural. Okay, and we're going to have sermons about the gifts of the Spirit and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And, and you, you might have heard, you know, it's sometimes said that, you know, maybe this is a luxury or it's, or it's fun or it's, um, you know, it's self-interested or, yeah. Seek the giver, not the gifts. You know, these things that we hear as charismatics. And it's completely ignorant of the church and of history. Look at the way that Jesus designed his church. He pours the Holy Spirit on them. He doesn't arm them. He doesn't send them into the wild to train, to be soldiers. He says, wait and pray, and you'll be empowered by my Spirit. And he births the church in the context of occupation and of war. And he knows, because he's already prophesied it, that Jerusalem is going to fall just 30 or 40 years after his death. Sixty years after that, Israel is going to fall completely, and his church is going to be scattered. And his mode of operation, his choice of operation, is to give his spirit, that his people would be united in the spirit, and they would have power and authority to see the darkness push back, wherever they would go. The church was designed to operate in the gifts of the spirit in the context of war. Okay? Not a context of luxury. And the fact that so much of the Western church has lost sight of the gifts of the Spirit is because we're comfortable. Okay? This is not a luxury. <laughs> and so as we, as we look at this situation, we have to 
cry out with our hearts to the Lord to teach us, make us more spiritual. By that I mean make us more connected to your spirit. Make us more aware of what you are doing. Make us more effective in the power of your name. His kingdom was birthed in struggle, and there's still struggle all around the world. Hebrews 7 says this, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8, we have similar words. Jesus intercedes. He intercedes constantly. That when we choose to intercede, we are only joining in what our Savior is already doing. We are standing with him. And he's interceding. <laughs> he's interceding for the lost. That's what the writer of Hebrews would say, and also Paul in Romans. That he's interceding for the lost. Our salvation came because Jesus was praying for you, Joe, and you, Grace, and you, Sals, because Jesus was interceding. But the thing is, you've been one now. You are saved. You've gone beyond his intercession. And there's all these other promises we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And there's more. Right? That Jesus ripped the veil that we can go with boldness into the Father's presence. And Jesus says, the glory that my Father gave me, I'm giving to you. And he told us to be ambassadors of his kingdom. And that the violent would expand it. There are these, these, these promises that he's given us. So that when we come to intercede, when we look at Israel, and we look at the violence, and we cry out for the Jewish families that are in pain, and we cry out for the Palestinian families that are in pain, that we, we can claim what the Lord has given us, which is his spirit. The spirit through the spirit that is in Jesus, that unites us to him. That can unite us to his intercession for those that are lost. To be naturally supernatural when we intercede is to get on our knees and get on our faces and to ask the Holy Spirit to connect us to the heart of the Father. And it's to lean in towards Him with everything that we have. Our heart and our mind and our spirit to lean in and say, Holy Spirit, would you show me what I must pray? Would you show me how I can pray the words that are in my Father's heart? That I will be effective in the kingdom. In Romans 8, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In Corinthians, Paul says, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? 
Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of, of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that, why, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. When we are naturally supernatural, we are not super people, we're not superhuman, we're not super Christians, we just are submitted and surrendered. That's all he's calling us to be, is submitted and surrendered and to partner with him. I know some of us have the gift of tongues, and this gift of tongues is amazing in these situations where you just don't know what to pray. And when and you pray in tongues and you'll feel, you'll feel the emotion of the heart of God. And it might be joy. In this situation, it's likely to be weeping or groaning. But you feel it. And I, I know not all of us speak in tongues, but I, I just I say that because <laughs> seek the gift of tongues. It is helpful in intercession. But secondly, the heart of the Lord, like I, I, I feel his heart. I know his heart is to pray. And whether you pray in tongues or English, that heart is for us. That spirit is in us. And God would call us to pray, I believe, for peace. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit. And last week, Henrik read us the most famous psalm about Jerusalem, which calls us to pray for peace. In Psalm 128, there's also a cry for Jerusalem to be at peace. And so I want us to pray um, but I, I want to share something really positive. I wasn't sure if I wanted to share this today, but I, I want to share because I, I want our hearts just to maybe just to come alive a bit. This has been quite a hard sermon. Um, Richard was here two weeks ago. Many of you were here for that. On the Friday night, he had a meeting with the leaders of the church. And he gave a prophetic word for the church. And he sent me a picture, uh, he actually sent me a photograph later of a cell phone tower, and he says, this is actually, this is what I saw. The nuts and bolts of the, of the word was that God was going to be raising up kingdom life. He was going to be strengthening us. He was going to be make, making us more visible from afar, and that people would be coming to us to meet the Lord. That was a great word. Really encouraging. On this past Monday evening, I got a text from a co-worker who said, hey, I'm having lunch with this guy. He's full of the spirit. He wants to meet you. I didn't know he was on campus. I'd never met him. Um, so I texted and said, great, I love meeting people full of the spirit. Yes, please. Um, and we met for coffee. And he had about two minutes to pray at the end. And I said, would you, would you pray for me? And he prayed the most amazing, beautiful prayer over me. I did not ask him to pray for kingdom life. 
And he said, this is what I see the Lord doing. He said, I see the Lord taking these huge girders, and it's like you're a steel column, and he's lifting you up, and he's placing these girders underneath you, and he's raising you up so more people will be able to see you, and more people will come to you. Almost word for word, he repeated what Richard had said to us. This is someone I have never met who's never been to our church. Now, I know, I've known Richard long enough that when he gives a word like that, I will trust it. Um, I have no doubt about it. For the Lord to give me a second prophetic word that matches completely within 10 days from someone I don't know at all, who he brought to me, I do not doubt that the Lord wants us to say yes to that word and to have hope and to be a people that will shine in the darkness. What God will often do is he will give a word, and when you know that word is true, because you know that only the Holy Spirit would say that, he added one thing. He said, I see the river of life flowing through your church. And your church is strong, and it's strong enough to build a platform that people can walk out, and they will jump into the water, and they will be refreshed and revived, and they will meet the Lord. And maybe that fits with the picture Richard had, that he prophesied of the well in the front of the church. All of these things, all of these things are, are, are available to us to step into if we will say yes. We don't have to somehow reach some sort of sense of perfection. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but if we will just say yes, and that means being willing to put away our disobedience, being willing to put away our unforgiveness, being willing to put away ourselves and say yes, Lord. I will worship you and I'll praise you and I will be part of a people that will welcome your spirit and put you first and I will seek your face and I will pray for your people. So can we pray together? And the worship team, we can have a final song. That's good. I, um, I did think about getting us into groups to pray, but I, I just felt tonight was about us preparing our hearts that this week and the weeks to come that we would be praying, that we would be in those prayer closets and we would be seeking the Lord. But we will do some intercession together in the weeks to come. So Lord Jesus, Lord, we know that your heart weeps at what is happening. Lord, for the death and the violence and the hate. Lord, I know that we can look at what is going on and we can become callous. We can count the number of dead. We can see it through natural eyes alone. But Lord, you call your church to intercede. You call your church to push back against the darkness.
So Jesus, we ask, we declare first of all, Lord, that we, we make ourselves available to you. We ask, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would show us how to pray. That you would bring us into our Father's throne room. That we would know the prayers that he would have us pray. Lord, that our prayers would be a fragrance before you. That we would pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, I ask that you would open our ears our eyes, our hearts, our spirits. Open us, Lord, to, to your kingdom. We say yes to being ambassadors, Lord, of your kingdom, to be agents of your kingdom, to be intercessors of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we pray for peace over Jerusalem. We pray peace over the people of Israel. We pray for peace over the people of Gaza, Lord. We pray for peace. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up men and women of peace. Let's be the peacemakers, Lord. Would you raise them? Holy Spirit, would you bring comfort to those who mourn? Bring hope to those who are hopeless. Lord, you see every person that is in bondage, would you bring your light and your comfort? We ask, Father, that you stretch out your hand. We pray in the name of Jesus against the demonic spirits that would bring death and destruction. Jesus, you be exalted. You be enthroned over that land. Your spirit triumphant, Lord. Father, would you send your armies to fight? Lord Jesus, will you, will you draw us into intercession this week? Would you draw us 
into the Trinity. We make ourselves available to you, Lord. We pray all these things, Jesus, in your name, your holy and righteous and beautiful name. Amen.